The following program does not offer personal medical advice. Please consult your doctor before using any treatment or product we cover. Welcome to Go to Health Radio with your host, Jonathan Marks. We provide a welcoming environment where experts educate you on important health topics, answer your questions, and provide information from which you can benefit in consultation with your doctor. And now, here is Jonathan Marks. This is Jonathan Marks. Good to see you again. Welcome back. Today, we're talking about the psychology of empowerment, both at the individual and the social level, and the ability of people to overcome depression, cynicism, and passivity to affect meaningful individual and social change. My guest today is a good friend, known him for many years, Brian Gruber, who has spent 40 years studying, innovating, marketing, and creating new forms of public media. After earning an MA in broadcast journalism from Pepperdine, he served as the first director of marketing for public affairs to C-SPAN, which I'm sure you all know, where he hosted two live call-in shows per week with politically prominent guests such as Cesar Chavez, Nancy Pelosi, and John McCain. He then went to work in the cable television industry, both in the United States and Australia. He then founded three digital media firms, Fora TV, named one of the 50 best sites on the web by Time Magazine, and it enabled access to the world's great forums from the Aspen Ideas Festival, the Chautauqua Institution, to the New York Public Library. His BeNow.tv live-streamed authors' events from legendary bookstores and editorial meetings of publications like The New Republic. Shogo.tv streamed live jazz concerts from iconic clubs in four countries. Gruber conducted hundreds of interviews with thought leaders during this time from Norman Mailer and Christopher Hitchens to Quincy Jones and Malcolm Gladwell. Now, Brian is the author of four books. In War, the After Party, he visited the scenes of a half century of U.S. military interventions to interview those affected from both ends of the gun barrel. It's a great book. I've read it. I highly recommend it. It's called War, the After Party. He wrote Six Days at Ronnie Scott's, in which he interviewed jazz legends like Billy Cobham on the creative process and the history of jazz fusion. And he traveled to four continents to conduct interviews for the co-authored and current Surmountable, gathering stories of transcendence and transformation from activists, thought leaders, and witnesses to seismic political change. Brian lives on the island of Koh Phan Gan in Thailand, where he leads a writer's group and helps aspiring authors take their creative projects to completion. I've asked Brian to come on the show today to discuss his latest book, Surmountable, and what we'll talk about today is the psychology of empowerment, both at the individual and social level, and the ability of people to overcome depression, cynicism, and passivity to affect meaningful individual and social change. Such a great topic for us to delve into these days. Welcome, Brian. How are you doing in Thailand there? I'm doing great and, uh, yeah, eager to have this conversation. It's a fascinating subject. Good. So tell me, what inspired you to write the new book, Surmountable, and what countries did you visit in your research? Yeah, um, I uh, met a fellow, Adam Edwards, who is a supporter of the War the After Party Project, which was funded on Kickstarter. And um, we, we became friends. And, and over the course of time, we talked about something that had been troubling him as someone in New York who kept seeing marches happen and protests happen with no tangible results. 
which also led to a growing sense of cynicism or, uh, among many of his friends. So he uh, contacted me and we kind of workshopped the idea over a couple of months and ultimately thought, uh, is there a playbook uh, whereby people can be effective in, uh, in, in affecting a political change? Um, uh, Adam, Adam funded a good part of it as well as being a, a co-author. And we also raised money for the travel on Kickstarter. I'll talk about where I went in, in, a, in a moment. But through the course of the project, all of the thought leaders and activists who I interviewed around the world told me that the premise was wrong. There is no playbook. Yes, there are lessons learned. Yes, you can educate yourself. And the book is full of ideas from beginning to end and, and in every chapter on, on how to be successful in activism. But also, uh, it's really about the, the search for truth and justice and, uh, and, and finding ways to affect the world in the way that you want to uh, affect it. We'll talk lots more about that. So, so that's where the, the theme of surmountable came from, where people facing insurmountable odds, whatever the political issue was, mm-hmm. uh, had to generate some manner of internal uh, faith or transcendence or conviction or power mm-hmm. uh, to choose to become engaged. And it was fascinating. You asked where I went. There's 13 chapters. We decided not only to do U.S. Uh, protests over the last 100 years, but I went to Kiev for the Euromaidan uh, Ukrainian revolution, wow. went to Tunis for the Arab Spring uh, uh, and the overthrow of uh, the dictator Ben Ali after 23 years, went to South Korea to, to interview people about the Candlelight Revolution, where they overthrew President Park a few years ago, mm-hmm. peacefully. Um, and then uh, went all over the U.S. to Standing Rock to interview the Lakota Sioux who fought the Dakota Access Pipeline and Kali Lassen in Vancouver, who was the guy behind Occupy Wall Street. Selma, Alabama, um, and all, all over the country. So it was really an extraordinary political education. Mm-hmm. And it kept coming back to this idea of, of personal transformation, often where people were apolitical. You know, I don't think of myself as political, right. but they saw, and this is sort of a universal, it's not only a, 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 an American thing, uh, obviously, but they, they saw something in their world that wasn't right. Mm -hmm. And there was some uh, aspect of the human condition or human character that drove people to often put their bodies on the line so that they can uh, reshape the world in the way that they think it should be. Mm -hmm. And can you tell, did you learn some common, um, let's say, psychological statuses that people had before they really started taking power and, and, and empowering themselves? What was, what was life like before they took on all this challenge? No, the, the book starts off uh, talking about the notion of a hero. Uh, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, the original Greek concept of hero and then Superman and, and the notion of superheroes. What, what's a superhero? You know, what, what, is, what does it mean to be heroic? In your life, actually, you know, if you look at the, if, if you remember Jonathan, and we're both we're both not fourteen anymore, but right. <laughs> if you remember the original TV series Superman with George Reeves, yes, absolutely. and it was you know, uh, you know, faster than a speeding bullet, more right. powerful than a locomotive train, able to leap 
tall buildings, buildings in a, a single, single bound. bound. <laughs> right? And then the end of that says uh, to, that he fights the never-ending battle for truth, justice, yes. and the, the American, American way. way. Right. So that's interesting because actually all the things I just mentioned that Superman can do, technologically, you can replicate that. Uh-huh. But what made him a superhero and what made all and, and all these, the, the, all the Marvel, almost all the Marvel superheroes have some uh, symbolic kind of physical transformation. You know, Spider-Man, little timid Petey Parker or Bruce Banner, the Incredible Hulk. So it all gets back to this, to this idea of people who, who, who somewhere deep inside them, when they saw something in the world, and they decided this cannot stand. Um, uh, and, and then at that point, um, they were willing to, to um, do, do whatever it took. And often people spoke in metaphysical terms. Even people who were atheists or communists talked almost invariably uh, about, you know, uh, for example, the woman who brought suffrage to uh, the United States, uh, Alice Paul. She was a Quaker, and Quakers were very politically active uh, on the left. And Quakers had something called a concern, where they believed that you were on this earth to do good and to engage socially. And part of your identity as a Quaker is in how are you going to change the world around you and contribute to the world. And she had this uh, spiritual experience when she was with the Pankhursts, the suffragettes in, in London. And, uh, and, and you see this uh, uh, throughout. So it really is this, this notion of, uh, and, and the founders, we can get to that and talk about that as much as you want to. Mm-hmm. The founders of the United States, the drafters in the United States Constitution, drawing on European Enlightenment ideas believed in something that Thomas Jefferson wrote about uh, called the rights of man, that there is something intrinsic in human nature that seeks truth and justice. It's curious. Now, I'm, I, you, you kind of alluded to this, but I want to delve in a little deeper. I guess the question is, you know, when you're starting to feel that something's wrong, it can be an individual feeling that you have, or are people coming out of individual situations or were they already in a group like you're talking about with the Quakers? It was kind of a self-supporting group where they took it on something, this change on as a group. Does this come from the individual kind of starting to reach out and see, hey, other people think the same thing, or is it really more of a group phenomenon? Well, it's it's a good question, and I think it's it's all the above and, and more. Um, uh, sometimes you have someone like Alice Paul uh, and, and others who, on their own, uh, went out. Sometimes uh, working with other people, but they just they took on a leadership role. And and uh, there's one guy in the book, Gregory Watson, who's just a clerk working in the state government in in Texas, mm-hmm. and, um, and and when he was in university. He got a C grade for doing research on on how constitutional amendments happen. And and he was really upset at that grade. And then he realized that the 27th Amendment was never ratified, like for 200 years. Mm -hmm. So single handedly, this one guy at the time with, you know, an IBM Selectric 2 typewriter and fax machines, no budget, single handedly, he went out to all uh, 50 it didn't travel outside of Texas, but he, he, he contacted all 50 state legislatures 
And he single-handedly got a new amendment to the United States Constitution uh, ratified and, and passed. And it had to do with, with self-dealing in Congress and giving yourself uh, raises. And, and that was a, a big issue at that Right. So tell us, what that, for those who don't know, what was that amendment? Well, the 27th Amendment is basically where the Congress cannot give themselves pay raises. Ah. And uh, um, uh, in that same session, you can't you can't vote yourself uh, a pay raise. And there's some specific language. Mm-hmm. And it's all in the book. <laughs> right. We're not going to give the whole thing away. <laughs> the reason why it was uh, a hot issue at the time is I think uh, Jim Wright, Democrat from Texas, was Speaker of the House. And there was some real furor nationally about uh, members of Congress giving themselves uh, raises. Seems like a small issue, but the broader issue was corruption and self-dealing in, in Congress. Uh-huh. Okay. So, um, you know, you have sometimes, rarely, uh, a one-man band like that. More often, uh, you have an inspirational leader, someone who crafts the idea in just the right way. Um, and, 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 and then sometimes some of these struggles are intergenerational. Mm. You not only have uh, a group of people involved in something, but they fail. And in fact, again, getting back to the playbook idea, this was an essential aspect of all these movements that uh, it's not, oh, we got the right strategy and we're going to win. That did happen sometimes. Like if you remember the internet blackout, um, the SOPA PIPA um, uh, legislation, which would have changed copyright law. Um, and, and there was, a, you know, all these organizations came together basically to shut down major websites on one day and they got that law, that law blocked. Right. But sometimes it's multi-generational and, and people just have to continue to fight. So is it part of a group? I mean, clearly to uh, affect significant social change, uh, in a country of over 300 million people, for example, mm-hmm. you probably need to collaborate. Yes. Um, so, that, so there's all different forms of, of activism, and, and, and usually it, it is collaborative. Got it. Good. And did you meet some of the original founders of these movements, or were you just yeah. working with uh, you know, the followers? And what, what was the distinction yeah. between the two, if, if you could? Well, I mean, I, I so. Uh, I spent four days on the uh, Lakota Sioux Reservation at Standing Rock with LaDonna Brable Allard, who uh, she s- claimed she's not a leader, but uh, it was on her land where the uh, ac- activism against the Dakota Access Pipeline uh, started. Mm-hmm. So spent spent time with her, spent time with, uh, interviewed Kali Lassen, who has this fabulous magazine called Adbusters in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, 70-year-old Estonian guy. Hmm. It's a very radical magazine with a radical design. Um, and, and he's a, a brilliant guy. Um, but they, he just, they just put out a meme that became a hashtag, hmm. uh, Occupy Wall Street. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and they did um, performance art like that in, in a variety of ways. But it, so a small staff of a tiny magazine in Vancouver, Canada, uh, talked about this with their subscribers for some months. Right. And finally, they just said, in September, uh, let's have 20,000 people uh, go and occupy Wall Street. And they put out the hashtag, hashtag Occupy Wall Street. 
Right. And, and lo and behold, that's what happened. Right. And, uh, and, you know, th- there's a whole story around that. Some people believe that radically changed the conversation about income inequality in the United States. And in, in, I interviewed Todd Gitlin, who's a Columbia uh, uh, University uh, journalism professor and former head of the Students for a Democratic Society, SDS, in the 60s. And, you know, he and Kali Lhasa both said there would have been no Bernie Sanders candidacy, which also changed the conversation in the Democratic Party if there was no Occupy Wall Street. Hmm. That whole idea of we are the 99% came out of Occupy Wall Street. So Kali Lawson was, was um, behind that. Um, Alice Paul is long dead because uh, suffrage happened 100 years ago. Sure. But I spent time at the Alice Paul Institute with the executive director there and the biographer of Alice Paul. Um, and then, um, yeah, in, in Kiev, uh, met with a number of people who were critical uh th- there was no one leader really in that hmm, really? in that protest um no um others the uh, anti-vietnam war protest uh interviewed the the uh one of the two people uh, among other people who i interviewed uh uh in west virginia uh for the west virginia teacher strike of a few years ago mm-hmm. which which uh, was a wildcat fight which spread like wildfire to uh teachers unions around the country finally said enough with the budget cuts uh let's make mm. public education a, a, a social and political priority again so Good. interviewed him um and yeah so these are movements over the last hundred years some of which are the leaders of course are, are long gone great so brian we have to take a break stick with okay. us folks um we're going to take a quick break and come back and talk more with brian about is there a playbook? What are some commonalities in these movements? And remember, you can watch us on gotohealthmedia.com slash video, as well as hear us on the radio. So you can visit the website as well and see us in action. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Are you looking for a fun yet informative program about health care for your pet? Check out Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. They look into natural health alternatives for ourselves, so why not our pets? This program provides the most up-to-date, accurate, and innovative information about traditional and holistic veterinary medicine. You'll find a ton of answers regarding your pet's health every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Get ready to go inside the lives of some of the top recording artists the music industry has known. Join host Troy Bronstein every week as he becomes a prince among queens. Troy discusses the careers and past, present, and future projects from these artists. And if there's time on each show, you just might hear some performance gems as well. Listen for Prince Among Queens every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in every week for Making Action Happen. 
Hosted by Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, the program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Voice America Variety. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Go to Health Radio. To reach Jonathan Marks or his guest expert on the live program, call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to Jonathan Marks at gotohealthmedia.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with a good friend, Brian Gruber, who has written the new book, Surmountable. And it's all about social change, people who have been motivated to make social change, not only in their own life, but in group lives. Brian, you've interviewed so many people around the world. Did you see commonalities in these movements? Did you see, is there a playbook, I guess is the question you asked. And, and I know a lot of people you said, said no, you know, that you talked with said, no, there's no playbook. But I guess with all the interviews you did, is there some kind of playbook or commonality? Well, there, there were a lot, a lot of commonalities. And in the conclusion of the book, we talk about what are the patterns. Um, ultimately, the original notion of the book that there is this playbook that you can go out and be successful with, um, that, that's not the case, uh, according to the folks that, that, that I met. You, you go out and you often are uh, making it up as you go along. Of course, mm-hmm. you want a strategy and of course, you want leadership and of course, you want funding. But most of these uh, protests had a few uh, um, characteristics to them. One that people had to go through rounds of failure. I mean, the civil rights movement almost broke down in Albany, Georgia, before it went to Selma, Alabama. Mm. Uh, they, you know, because the, the police chief there was very clever. You know, he would bring out uh, coffee and, and food to the protesters, and they treated them kindly and, and uh, uh, didn't have the kind of reaction that there was in, in other cities or, or, or states. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that, you know, particularly in the context of, what we were talking about before, um, the, the commonality was this, uh, this almost uh, transcendent personal sense of not willing to allow injustice to happen, uh, whether it was 
you know, the Vietnam War or, and, and often what would happen is the failures themselves motivated people. So mm. you're at home, you've got kids, you're in Kiev, uh, Ukraine, you don't like the government, you think they're corrupt, you think they're being co-opted by Russian oligarchs and, 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 and Putin, but, you know, you got your life to deal with and you're not a political person. And then you see these students in uh, the Maidan, in the main plaza in, in central Kiev, being beaten by secret police mm. for protesting. And you get enraged. Something within you, seeing these young people get beaten. Uh, so you get on the subway and you come out to the protest. And now suddenly there's 150,000 people there. And then there's an encampment through the, through the Ukrainian winter. And, and it lasts for months. So it gets back to this notion of, uh, of what is a hero and, and, and what are the uh, aspirations and yearnings uh, within all of us as, as human beings, where um, when something's not quite right, we feel destabilized. And, and we, we, you know, there is the individual, you know, home, family, personal life that mm -hmm. creates an, an environment for psychological health and for social health. But, uh, and often when things are going real well, uh, that's enough. You know, you vote, maybe you read the newspaper, uh, you, you uh, chat with people at the diner over coffee about, about a policy you don't want. But um, when, when there needs to be change, um, that's where there's this sense that people uh, do, do, do not feel psychologically um, secure mm. and comfortable uh, with their lives unless they they go out and fight that, whether it's environmental issues or anti-war issue or racism issue or a government that needs to be taken out. Right. Tell us, you've used the word a couple of times, transcendence. They had this transcendent feeling. Can you describe more of what you're talking about there? Because I'm not quite clear. Well, um, and there's two aspects to that. You know, one is for many of these people, they, they describe this as a as uh, a religious or near-religious pursuit, such mm -hmm. as with Alice Paul, who was a Quaker in the women's suffrage movement, or you listen to the speeches, and I've listened to many, of Martin Luther King, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., you know, who, who spoke in very spiritual terms about, uh, about uh, his sense that even if he didn't get there with you, you know, he, he was putting his life in putting himself in the line. The, the other aspect of it is, is that um, you're transcending yourself. Um, you, you, you live in your own small world. And then um, there's often a, a, a discussion of, of a process. One woman, a Tasneem Qadi, who's featured in the uh, Tunisia chapter. Uh, she was, she wore the veil for seven years, uh, religious Muslim, uh, had three kids, still has them, but, you know, three growing kids, was never involved in politics and saw all these protesters out in the, the street all the time. And then when that uh, fruit vendor, Mohammed Bouazizi, yeah. set himself on fire in front of the municipal building in a small Tunisian town, something within her changed. Hmm. And um, since then, she's out protesting every day for years. I met her when she was walking in the circle with some other protesters in downtown 
uh, Tunis. Um, mm-hmm. So there is this um, something within uh, the human character that um, in, in many of these stories that is affected similar to these superhero stories that you see mm. in the comics or, mm-hmm. or in films. They're going about their daily life. You know, Dr. Strange is, uh, is a famous surgeon, doesn't care about anything but, you know, his ego and prestige and making a lot of money. Right. And then he has an accident and uh, something happens to him. And as a result, something internal uh, happens to him. And he goes on this search and finds this, you know, master. And, and so a lot of these stories are about going from the mundane to either the sacred or, or to the supernatural right. or to the transcendent, where you, you um, explore or experience a state or a sense of purpose beyond yourself. Interesting. That's a great, that's a wonderful way to describe that. Thank you for, for going into that. How did you get access to these people, Brian? <laughs> well, uh, I have a little experience doing this now, uh, having done a few books um, with with interviews with people who don't know me from Adam. Right. And of course, I'm not working for the New York Times or writing a book for Simon and Schuster. You know, I, I would often be in uh, when I was in Kabul, Afghanistan uh, uh, for uh, War of the After Party. People would say, well, what, what do you do? I say, well, I'm, I'm a writer. I'm writing a book. And already that was kind of odd. There's not a lot of that going on in Kabul. And then they would say, well, who, who do you work for? And I would say, no one. And they'd immediately think I was CIA. It's like, right. you know, that's outside of the frame of reference. Right. So um, there, there's, there's three ways to get these interviews. Um, one is I really want an interview with Jonathan Marks. And he doesn't know me from Adam, but I'm going to just be very, very persistent until he says yes, you know, mm-hmm. Mr. Marks, please just 10 minutes of your time. And if you mm-hmm. want to talk longer, of course we can talk longer. Right. And, right. and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay at getting that, getting that uh, interview. Mm-hmm. A second way is uh, Jonathan Marks is not going to return my calls. So I'm going to find out where his office is and I'm going to show up at his office. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, Oh, well, okay. Well, yeah. Okay. As long as you're here. Right. Uh, and then the third way is just, which is, an important part of the writing that I do, because when you try to go after a public figure, there's already kind of a, a filter uh, where that person has certain notoriety and, and, and you're hearing from that person a lot. What I want to hear from is people whose voices uh, are, are never voiced, who, who, who are never heard. Mm-hmm. So just meeting people in cafes and fruit stands and restaurants on trains at army bases uh, in in war zones or whatever, uh, you know, you get you you serendipitously uh, through three degrees of separation find that you can get to anyone Mm -hmm. by meeting someone and getting to their. And I have all kinds of stories about that. Mm -hmm. So it's it's basically a combination of uh, persistence. And um, serendipity, synchronicity, right. just being, being uh, out there. And also, um, if you can take 90 seconds to tell people what you're doing with an earnest uh, demeanor, mm-hmm. and if you can convince them that their story is important to you mm. and their story needs to be heard, people say yes. 
Ah, very People want to tell their story, right? especially right. if they feel that they can trust you to, to tell their story. Right. So uh, I, I've had just remarkable encounters with, you know, a Mujahideen, you know, uh, jihadis and ex-presidents and, and all kinds of people who simply chose to take, you know, in that brief encounter we had, uh, believe that they had a story worth telling and that I would, I would protect that story for them. Got it. Is, now, I'm just curious, with all the people that you've interviewed around the world, and this question keeps coming up, and it's, it's, um, it's particularly relevant now with the pulling back that the United States did the last four years, and now the reaching out that we're doing again. Is democracy and the ideals of democracy, are they really, you know, uh, exportable? Um, is, is, does democracy in some way speak to the individual condition and the individual drive and psychology that this is really a universal need that people have? Um, yeah, that's a, that's, that's a consistent question that's asked in, in this book because yes. it was fascinating to me. You know, a Korean professor who's an expert on their, you know, uh, history of protest there or a Muslim communist mother in Tunisia um, or, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, um, folks coming out of the uh, Soviet Union for decades and in Ukraine, and then a series of autocrats, and then suddenly they have this hunger for democracy. First of all, the notion of exportable democracy. Generally, when the United States says we are uh, from America and we're here to help, uh, we're generally not. We're there to uh, steal their natural resources and to put in place governments that will be, in compliant, that will be compliant. There are exceptions. Yeah. And the United States also has a tremendous history of humanitarian support and of support for civil liberties. But if you go to Guatemala and Iran and Iraq and, and, and Vietnam and many, many places, um, it's an ugly, bloody, uh, disingenuous uh, history. So, so exporting democracy, uh, you also, the other part of that is for democracy to take hold, you need to have civil society institutions mm. that are put in place that usually take years or decades uh, to, to, to take hold. Having said that, um, you know, what is democracy? Democracy is people's governance. And as homo sapiens for 99% of our history, uh, you know, it's been top down. It's been feudalistic. It's been authoritarian. It's been Mandarin, it, you know. So the idea of people's governments where all people are created equal and have the right to uh, pursue uh, happiness and opportunity, mm -hmm. those are universal aspirations, hmm. universal aspirations. And, you know, I talked to Stephen Schlesinger, whose father and grandfather were or, or and Stephen himself, an incredible family of historians, and they wrote these books about liberal democracy and about. And Stephen wrote a book about the United Nations. And I asked him, to what degree did FDR's Four Freedoms and the Atlantic Charter inform uh, the United Nations Declaration of U Human Rights and the UN Charter? And actually, uh, it, it very strongly influenced. And Eleanor Roosevelt was there for the drafting of that. And it starts off, "We the people." Mm -hmm. So. Um, if you break down democracy, first of all, you have the civil institutions like 
the rule of law, independent judiciary, uh, free and fair elections, freedom of the press. And then you have more human rights that, that have to do with things that are embedded right there in the First Amendment by James Madison. You know, the right to re, uh, protest or uh, petition the government for a redress of grievances, the right of assembly to protest, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of the press. Right. And, and those things come from European Enlightenment ideals. And of course, let's not be Eurocentric. There's many other cultures that have had uh, similar aspirations. But our notion of this and much of the modern world's notion of this came from these, these Enlightenment ideals uh, from you know, Scotland, England, uh, uh, France, and two or three other countries uh, that, that for the first time said, yes, there are universal rights for man. And uh, of course, originally, those universal rights were only if you were white, male, and a landowner. Mm-hmm. You know, even when the United States started, uh, if, you didn't, if you didn't own land, uh, you were likely not going to vote. And if you were not white or male, you were definitely not going to vote. Mm-hmm. But I do think that these things are, are universal. And, and, um, and at the same time, one final comment on that is we cannot impose our idea of how people want to govern, govern and organize themselves on every other country. Uh, countries may, may decide to do it differently. Right. You mentioned before, uh, you talked about failure and how, you know, a lot of these movements had initial failure. Can you talk about some of the transformation that people went through and what sustained them and going through all the challenges that they went through? Uh, you know, yeah, it's not so, just, you don't just go from A to B in a straight line, right? So how do you yeah. sustain yourself to, yeah. to achieve what you want to achieve? I mean, why do we call people like Gandhi and Nelson Mandela and, um, uh, uh, Dr. King, heroes, you know, what, and again, the beginning of the first chapter explores this idea. Why do we go to these superhero movies? Um, there are some attributes that, that have to do with uh, something that Joseph Campbell explored when he wrote about the hero's journey, that in every major mythology, there is a cycle of the hero that's virtually identical. And Ulysses, before, you know, we wouldn't know about Ulysses in the, in the, in the Odyssey mm-hmm. if he just, like, you know, went out and, and, you know, got the Golden Fleece and whatever he was after and, and came back after three days. And, you know, no, 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 no. Right. You go through, you got you to gotta meet the Cyclops. You got to uh-huh. meet the Sirens. You got to go, th- you, 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 you know, you have to have a mutiny on the ship, you know. So the hero's journey, by definition, mm-hmm. involves surmounting major obstacles that look insurmountable that require, again, again, you know, this is what heroism is that require courage that require persistence. Uh, you know, we, we often experience things like this in business, not quite the same as the way Ulysses did it, but you know, you, you experience, you know, you're doing a startup or you're starting a business or you're, you're working in a company that's trying to uh, turn around the business. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, yeah, there's some universal attributes that that are 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 required there. But it gets back to this notion of heroism, which gets back to these aspects of human psychology 
um, an aspiration where people draw on a wellspring of inspiration and motivation and to, again, uh, use another uh, King quote, they have their eyes on the prize Mm -hmm. and they have this sense of purpose. And once they have that, ideally with the right branding, ideally with great leadership, ideally with, uh, you know, some funding or getting some breaks, then they're able to, to get to the top of the mountain. Great. We're talking with Brian Gruber. He's the author of Surmountable. We'll be back in just a minute or two to discuss with him how we can take everything in his book and kind of apply it in our own lives in these days. So stick with us. We'll be back. Thank you for tuning in this week to Go to Health Radio. Be sure to join Jonathan Marks and another health expert next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You can also catch the program on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next show, be sure to visit us on the web at gotohealthmedia.com and elevate your life. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you looking for a fun yet informative program about health care for your pet? Check out Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. They look into natural health alternatives for ourselves, so why not our pets? This program provides the most up-to-date, accurate, and innovative information about traditional and holistic veterinary medicine. You'll find a ton of answers regarding your pet's health every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Get ready to go inside the lives of some of the top recording artists the music industry has known. Join host Troy Bronstein every week as he becomes a prince among queens. Troy discusses the careers and past, present, and future projects from these artists. And if there's time on each show, you just might hear some performance gems as well. Listen for Prince Among Queens every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in every week for Making Action Happen, hosted by Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. The program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Voice America Variety. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Go to Health Radio. To reach Jonathan Marks or his guest expert on the live program, call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to Jonathan Marks at gotohealthmedia.com. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, we're back and we're talking with Brian Gruber, the author of Surmountable, which is a wonderful catalog of social and political and individual movements where people have truly changed society. What I'd like to talk about in this third uh, section here, Brian, is what what you've learned from all the research and travel you did about what makes social, you know, makes for social change and inspires it. And as what you talked about, most importantly, I think, is the transcendence that everybody gets. What can we take away from the lessons that you've learned in your travels and writing? Well, there's a whole range of, of lessons, but I think the, 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 the fundamental issue is um, who do we want to be as a culture and as a, as a country? And, and what are our core values of, of what we stand for? And there was a, a fascinating opportunity for me, you know, as, as Americans, we've been through, you know, civics class and high school and social studies and whatever. And we have a general understanding of what the founders were after and what the Constitution was about. But in order to write the book, I had to really do a deep dive into that and, and look at both the hypocrisy of you know, white male landowners deciding that there were universal rights, but also at the extraordinary groundbreaking document that they created that has uh, endured yes. uh, th- through all this time. So, um, you know, there were, there were a number of, of lessons learned, but the thing that the book kept coming back to was uh, this idea of heroism and this idea of, of people, uh, you know, th- this the notion in the Superman uh, TV series uh, uh, theme song about truth, justice, and the American way, which is the way that the theme song ends. And so there's an exploration of what is the American way? What aspects of that are universal, which is this strong, uh, passionate desire for justice? For example, as I'm not uh, a, a necessarily uh, a very... Uh, uh, religious Jew, but in many of the religious traditions, and certainly in in mine, um, there is this idea that, uh, besides being people of the book, that part of the way you walk in the world is that you pursue justice in the world, and that's a there's a core part of Judaism that that's that's about social justice, mm-hmm. and many of the other uh, religious traditions in the world. Uh, have that as well. So lots of lessons learned that are all in, in the book, but ultimately this idea, starting with the idea of who am I, what do I believe, and what kind of a world do I want, and how do I choose to walk in the world? In each of these stories, which are so different, 
Mm-hmm. And the success stories are so different. It always starts with uh, this notion, which is a Buddhist notion and a Jewish notion and a Christian notion. You know, how do we walk in the world? What is our moral code? How do we, you know, politics is really the, our, our choice of how we choose to engage with, with other human beings. Mm-hmm. So this, uh, this light bulb that went off in, in so many people that um, um, I will not let this stand and I will uh, do what it takes, even if it's putting my, my life on the line, because I want this. There's so many poignant stories, um, which I can you know, wait for your next yeah, give, question. Give, but, me an, give me an example of a couple, just a couple. Briefly. Yeah, I mean, so you know, when I was in Kiev, which is a fascinating experience, um, I'd never been to Ukraine before. And there were, there were people who were just fed up with, of course, decades of Soviet rule, uh, Ukraine has a very interesting history. I mean, uh, th- they were subsumed into the Soviet Union in 1923, but uh, actually after w- World War One, they were the first uh, uh, anarchic state. They had an, an mm-hmm. anarchy army, um, and and it was it was uh, you know uh, a, a very uh, liberated culture taken over, and then uh, uh, Stalin starved them. Uh, lost seven to eight million people on the Holmador in the 1930s, lost millions of people in World War II. And then there was uh, autocrat after autocrat that they overthrew. And originally there was something called the Orange Revolution. And then there was another revolution. And this was after the end of the, the Soviet Union. But the folks, you know, who I talked to just decided at a certain point, we're not going to take this anymore. Mm-hmm. There was even one moment, so many stories, but... There was one moment where uh, Vladimir Klitschko, who was a former world champ, uh, heavyweight champion, uh, uh, boxing legend from Ukraine, mm-hmm. who became the mayor of Kiev, he was standing in front of all the people and he said, uh, you know, OK, we cut a deal with the government and there's going to be elections at the end of the year. And they've agreed to reverse these couple of policies. This is after people camped out in the freezing cold mm-hmm. for months, mm-hmm. uh, for months. And, and there was a, 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 a veteran who was in the audience, and he walked up to Klitschko with this 100,000 people, you know, watching. And he grabbed a microphone, and there's a video of this. And, and, and he said, no, we will not accept this. And uh, uh, until, until the president leaves office and leaves the country, we will not leave this square. It was audacious. And that night, the president left the country, and and uh, and the revolution was successful. I remember that. So, yeah, specifically remember that when he left, and it was just all of a sudden. You know, it was like a tipping. That's point. right. Yeah, it was like six in the morning, uh, the next the next day. Um, there was this other woman who was twenty three years old. She was a who I interviewed, who was uh, a radio reporter, uh, and is she and yeah, in Kiev. Okay, and she. She would go out uh, in order to, she would do a half hour update on the protests. And finally they said, well, you got to go out in the field. And then when she went out in the field, she met with all these commanders and she kept telling them, you know, she, uh, her radio station was involved in this project where they did a reenactment of the Cossacks who had their own history, but the Cossacks from the 19th century, how they had groups of a hundred men and they had the, they built these uh, barricades and finally, you know, they, they were so annoyed by this young woman telling them what to do. They said, why don't you become a commander? So she became one of the defense <laughs> militia commanders. 
And then finally, and when they would meet every night, there would be people saying, you know, there's these, this woman on my team is really annoying. She said, I'll take them. So she created an all woman defense militia oh who God. fought against the, the, uh, the, the secret police, the Burkut, uh, 150 of them. And she saw a lot of people die. But um, she basically had this feeling that we want Western democracy. We want to lean towards the West, not to the East. And we will put our bodies on the line and die before we will allow this country to go back to the way it was. Wow, that's uh, that's quite amazing. Uh, Brian, what insight do you have about the ability for people to put their lives on the line. I mean, I just, you know, us sitting here in relative comfort, enjoying our, you know, personal daily lives, wh- how, where and how do you get to putting your lives on the line? Uh, again, something, it's, it's, it's uh, mysterious. You can call it mystical. Uh, there is something innate within us that um, when we see injustice or when we uh, uh, I mean, how, how to talk about it in, in, in universal terms. Uh, there, there's often an awakening, uh, a, a moment of, uh, of uh, you can call it a political awakening or a spiritual awakening, mm-hmm. um, where, where there's a sense that the way that um, what I see in the world, I think it partly has to do with how we're protecting, what the kind of world we want to pass to our children and our grandchildren but where your body, your physical life is no longer your priority. Of course, all these people are not insane and they don't, you know, they're, they're not uh, um, masochists, mm-hmm. but um, um, we need these people, you know, and, and I, so, so there's two parts. There's the more dramatic, not extreme, but, um, you know, serious uh, threat part of it. Um, but then there, there's the kind of, uh, notion that is embedded in American political doctrine by the founders and the ideas of the enlightenment, which is that the idea of the citizen and the idea of engagement, when we started off the conversation, uh, our our first conversation talking about cynicism and where, where people feel that they can make a difference. And that is psychologically debilitating. Mm. And I think, uh, particularly not to get into partisan politics, but, in the last few years, there were people who just felt, you know, what, what is what is going on uh, around me. So um, I think in the Constitution, there is a there is a, a hardwired doctrine that you cannot have democracy. You cannot have the world that you want. Unless citizens are engaged, unless citizens are informed, unless you have a great public education system, which was very big. Uh, for Thomas Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so all these notions of freedom of the press, freedom to protest, uh, uh, freedom of speech are not just, oh, let's have that. That sounds nice. These are essential parts of how the founders of our country and many other liberal democracies saw um, uh, a, a way for humans to organize society and to live where People govern, and we have control over what happens. And, you know, that phrase, which is kind of a hackneyed trope by now, but it's a powerful political bit of political philosophy, government of, by, and for the people. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's no other way to do that. And the more people are politically illiterate, the more people are cynical and disengaged, the more people don't vote, uh, the more people think the system is rigged, which is why what happened in November and in January is so insidious. Because if you perpetuate that idea, then people feel powerless. And that's where you get fascism. And that's where people uh, do not feel empowered. And people don't engage because they don't see the power and the promise of what uh, a, a democracy like ours can offer. Brilliant. Thank you. We've got just a couple minutes. I want to I want to ask your reaction to the January 6th inter- insurrection and what you saw there in terms of people taking power and becoming, you know, feeling empowered and and also talking about the Black Lives Matter movement which we're also dealing with. So it's it's people who are taking, you know, in different methods and regardless of what yeah. your politics are about it, getting motivated to really put their lives on the line. Yeah, this is very different. I mean, January 6th, people were lied to. They were lied to with QAnon, which was run out of the Philippines by people who ran the worst child pornography, neo-Nazi, white supremacist uh, website. So they, they were, and they were lied to by, by, by Donald Trump, who said during his debate with Hillary Clinton that he would not accept the results of the election. And, and during his debate with Joe Biden, he would not, ex- if he didn't win, it was rigged. All 63 uh, court cases, as you know, thrown out. So this was insidious. It, and, you know, we, we take for granted a lot of our political processes. It's almost kind of uh, vanilla or kind of boring. But these things, trust in our institutions, imperfect as they are, are important. And what happened was there's, there was a big lie. And as a result, all these people were told for raw, cynical political uh, self-interest to, to violently attack the Capitol. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and by the way, with Black Lives Matter, you, you know, you have 99% of protests being peaceful. All the leaders, all the organizers, all the major initiatives, the political leaders involved, it's, it's peaceful. And you have outliers who are either sociopaths or mm-hmm. who just uh, uh, exploit the situation for Looting. What you had on January 6th was something different. The intention, according to QAnon, trust the plan. The plan was for the Flynn brothers and others in the military establishment to have a fascist military coup to stop the electoral process and to kill (laughs) members of Congress and probably the vice president. Mm -hmm. So the the intention there was insidious, anti-democratic and violent. Mm-hmm. Great, and it's just a terrible blight on our on our country. Yeah, I want to thank Brian Gruber for being with us. Brian, it's been wonderful. Brian is sitting as we speak in Kolfangen, uh, Thailand. How long have you been there, Brian? Five years. Five years. Five years. Loving and loving it too. And Absolutely. That's his base for doing uh, writing and uh, travel around the world, all about empowerment and social change, and as he described before, transcendence. Again, this is Jonathan Marks with Go to Health. I'm so pleased you've been with us today. Thank you, Brian. It's been a wonderful session. And remember, you can listen to us on podcast. You can listen to us on radio. You can also watch us in video at gotohealthmedia.com slash video. Brian, thanks so much for being with us. And everybody, we'll see you next week. Take care. 
Thank you for tuning in this week to Go to Health Radio. Be sure to join Jonathan Marks and another health expert next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You can also catch the program on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next show, be sure to visit us on the web at gotohealthmedia.com and elevate your life.